Hey everybody, Mikey here. Welcome to the Climb 4 Podcast. So today, not really going to do a fancy intro, just going to kind of jump right into it. Making some adjustments to the podcast, um, and I've been kind of holding on to this one for a couple of weeks. So without further ado, today's podcast guest is Jason Mace. Jason's platoon was featured in the war documentary, documentary Restrepo. Takes place back in 2007 in the Korangal Valley of Afghanistan. So this is his story. This is what he's up to now, and I had a really great time interviewing with him. So join me in welcoming Jason Mace to the Climb Four Podcast. Unmute yours, Jason. You take your shirt off while we're waiting. <laughs> Play with your nipples. Please. Oh, I see what's going on. It's a built-in. <laughs> yes. All right. Hey, try it again. Okay. You hear me? Yes. Ah, dude. There we go. God, I can't tell you. I'm horrified to see you physically, but I'm excited <laughs> to, to have you because, like, oh, I can't even begin to describe it. What, what's your name? I guess it's what's up, brother. Hey, shit, what's up, dude? What's up, man? How <laughs> much, man? God, what? So I'll I'll go ahead and get this thing started, bro. It's, it doesn't have to be any particular length. Um, yeah, but dude, what have you been up to? Like, I I'm trying to think of like the last time that we talked. It had to have been like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's been a while, dude. Um, I'm not much I'm finishing up uh, my externship for school, working at an animal ER. So, okay. working with animals. Always wanted to do, or you come up with that after after leaving the service? Like, how'd that come up? Um, you know, I liked I liked a medical. I did a lot of medical training, obviously with the army and stuff. A lot of real world applications. Um, and when I got back from like Warrior's Heart and everything, I was trying to figure out what to do. Um, I love animals. I have a ton of animals, and there's a there's a good uh, veterinary program here in town. So I just started that up, and been loving it ever since. Nice man. What uh, where are you at right now? Uh, Colorado Springs. Is that where you're from originally? No, uh, I'm a military brat, so I'm not really necessarily from one place. It's just yeah. where I met my wife. So nice. Yeah. When did you leave Warriors Heart? Fucking when was that? February, end of February, the beginning of March last year. Okay. And for people that are listening in on this, uh, Warriors Heart's a PTSD treatment center uh, located in the Hill Country. It's fantastic. I think it's the first in its kind it is. for veterans and first responders. Um, yeah, it's a really cool place. And I changed my life. Yeah. So, dude, tell me about that. Like, I've I've kept I haven't kept in contact with as many people. As, as I'd like to. So I'm, I'm full disclosure, calling myself out on that. But the people I have, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, some people yeah. still struggling. Um, everyone's got their own experiences. What, what's been, what's been up with you? Like how, how has everything been? Like, what was it like before and, and, and after? I mean, before it was just chaotic. I had, I was like, you know, suicidal, uh, just very depressed all the time, just very pessimistic. Um, now I've been sober going on, 17 months loving life loving spending time with my kids i mean just a complete 180 it's been life-changing that's so do you what do you do to stay sober like that's one of the things i always want to caveat is i don't want to draw the connection between veterans and and substance use right like it's not the yeah. full story but for people typically afflicted with ptsd and with suicide ideation in the context of veteran suicides it tends to play uh, a prominent role. Um, 17 months is a long time, man. So yeah. congratulations on that. How did you do that? Um, just found a positive outlet. So like school was obviously a big chunk of my time. 
Um, but just staying stay busy with my like kids and family and stuff. I mean, they're the real reason like, I stay sober and everything else. Because right. like, when I, was, I just drank 24-7 before, I was never there for them. So, you know, I'm trying to be the more present father that I can be. Yeah, and that's, dude, that's huge. You know, because you don't have to do that. Yeah. It, for whatever reason, for any series of events, kind of hit that, that fuck it button. Yeah. Check out. I mean, like it, it happens, you know, it's not a, it's just something that kind of goes down, but it's, it's always awesome to hear the stories of people that, you know, they're still doing really well. Yeah. Hey bro, um, just to kind of like give you some props. Like I, I met you, um, I've known you for a while now. I'm like, yeah. uh, just kind of seeing you now today, 17 months later. I mean, I, I met you over 17 months ago and, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I feel like I've seen you come a long way, brother, and I'm really proud of you. Um, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> you're, you're doing it, bro. And so that, that's what's really important. And, uh, well, I love you too, schnookums. <laughs> yeah. What do you call me, Yeah. Hey, bro, let's talk about that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're an angry face. Yeah. Wait, um, man. So, you know, you, you were able to pull your – you get your shit together more or less. Um, yeah. When, when did the problem start? Like, you know, when did the drinking start and what do you attribute that to? Uh, I mean, like I started drinking honestly at a really early age. Um, I started drinking like kind of regularly at like 11. <laughs> I was living in, yeah. I was living in Japan at the time. So I mean, me and my friends would just go off base and just buy alcohol and find somewhere to drink off base. Um, I got arrested for my first time for underage drinking at 13 um, had alcohol poisoning then and just drank on and off my whole life. It was kind of my go-to. Mm-hmm. Uh, military definitely didn't help a lot of, a lot of drinking in the military. And um, after Afghanistan, it just kind of became like my only coping mechanism. It was just whenever I had a bad day, a rough day, I was tired, just drink. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's an, it's an easy release. And especially in a context where it's like, there isn't much room for release. And, you know, that's a lot of what we see of people coming back from these conflicts for, there will be an intro that I'll, I'll record later, but for anyone that, that maybe skipped through that, cause they don't want to hear my voice any longer than they absolutely have to. Uh, Jason was in the documentary Restrepo with the, uh, the platoon that was in the Korangal Valley, the clearly the deadliest post. yeah post in the U S military. And this took place, I believe it was 2007. I don't want to tell your story for you, but 2007, 2008. Okay. You want, would you 15 months? Yeah. 15, 15 months. months. Yeah. I don't know how you guys do it, man. Like it, we, we were six months when I was, when I was in the teams and dude, like for 15 months, especially in a place like that. Whereas uh, if, if anyone hasn't seen the documentary, go, you can buy it on, I think Apple and whatever it's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And anything you can see on that 360 degree war, um, lots of casualties, just nonstop. So, but anyway, I don't want to tell you the story, man. Like, what was what was it like gearing up for that? Uh, and what was it like? Um, being- well, like, we saw, like, little bits of, like, like, helmet cam footage and shit. And we heard, like, a lot. We heard it was really bad. And I don't think we really believed it. A lot of our leadership was like, yeah, this is an undertrained unit. And we, we're going to do it differently. And, like, we're like, well, why aren't they, like, engaging the enemy? Why are they just returning fire instead of closing? When we got there, we were like, oh, this is fucking like, this makes sense. Okay. I mean, we're shooting, like, Average engagement was like 800 to like 900 meters. Um, but like, it's like a 70% incline, like down the mountain. Yeah. It's like a full click in elevation. To, then you have to go back up the mountain to get to them. It's just, 
it's not going to happen. Um, we were un, like we were short staffed basically. We just didn't have enough people. Um, and the mission was kind of stupid. Like yeah, I was a key point for like weapons coming into like in and out of Pakistan, but with like two platoons of dudes, what the fuck are you going to do about that? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for anyone who hasn't looked into it, I mean the Korangal Valley, just by one picture, it's, it's equally beautiful and menacing. It's just like you said, it's like anyone that's ever done any hiking and has experienced the terror of, of going up these altitudes with any sort of weight on them or no weight at all. It's just a daunting task. You guys were doing this. I mean, what was the, what was the temperature like? Like how much gear did you have on you? Like, what was that situation? Um, I mean, the temperature wasn't bad. I mean, it was high elevation, so we didn't get like we didn't get like temperatures over 100 degrees. I mean, in the winter we get snow, so we did some patrols and like snowshoes and shit. Um, gear kind of depended. Like, we all carried it like way too much shit early on because we're just you know regular army fucks. We were like, okay, we're gonna carry all the shit we were issued. And about <laughs> month two, we were all like, fuck this. We started ordering all our own gear and carrying more or less essentials. So. Um, for like short like missions, we usually just carried um, ammunition, extra batteries, not much. We do some extended patrols where we carry like um, like every dude carry a law. We'd have like an AT4 or a small D with us. Um, carry extra ammo for the saws and the 240s, but yeah, heavy machine guns. Yeah, I think most like on average, my kit weighed probably 75 pounds. Yep. All sudden done. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the ounces equal pounds concept is one painfully learned and, and very expensive to get away from. Um, yeah. But equally hard to do so. And then, of course, leadership's like, oh, you're wearing cries, and we issued the, <laughs> the Patagonians are going to the second you put Yeah. Like, what's no, Absolutely. Yeah. But it feels better. Um, so, like, was that your first deployment? My first real deployment, yeah. Okay. Well, so. What were I was supposed other- to go to Iraq early, uh, earlier in my career, and uh, I was a casualty replacement. We got all the way to the border of Iraq and Kuwait, did all our train up and everything, and they were like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Turns out we weren't supposed to deploy. <laughs> oh Sent us back to Kuwait. We just hung out in Kuwait for three months chilling. Oh, nice. Fun place. Yeah. What a, man, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this 15-month concept. For people that have been in the Army, I know it's, it's kind of standard. Like, you guys do really long. You're occupying forces. Yeah, you're gonna be gearing up to be there for a while. What was it like being there? Like, what was it like when you first get there? Um, and then, how does that transition kind of play out like over time? Because I don't know what you guys are doing on a, a given day there. It could change, but key leader engagements, patrols, mm-hmm. I guess presence patrols. Yeah, and, okay. and a lot of gun sites. <laughs> yeah, like, so they know we're still there, as if they didn't know that already. Yeah, exactly. Um, but and sometimes like you're just kind of sitting there just waiting to get shot at. I mean, is that an accurate portrayal? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we used to get like different icons chatter and stuff that they were seeing us and our commander would literally order us out to go draw fire so we could figure out where they're firing from so we could drop like artillery and shit on them. So like, I mean, half the time we were just literally like bait. Yep. Yep. So. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, I think that probably plays a huge reason into why we have to make fireflies too. Um, so, but, yeah. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I, I was a half a thought. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's titled after, obviously, Docker Strip Boats, one of the guys who, who lost his life. One of the questions I had that I didn't quite get from the documentary is, I mean, you guys had uh, quite a few casualties, right? During yeah. That time period. Why, why was it end up being named after Restrepo? 
Um, he was, I don't know, docs are always hard. Like we lost a couple different docs out there for our company. Um, but you know, they like, they take care of the platoons. They're the ones who make sure everything's going good with you. And whenever you're not feeling good, you go to a little, you know, daddy doc. <laughs> so he's, you know, he's, everyone's kind of like, I don't know, everyone's really close with your docs because you have to be. And he was just a super, super nice, super chill dude. And it just hit us hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate, man. You know, with, with any loss, <laughs> But especially, I, I, I've made this a point to state in the, in the past, um, you know, there's people I've known that have passed, but nobody I was ever really close to, you know, I'd see him in the hallway one day and, you know, and a few months later, I'm, I'm at the memorial and it would hit me when I saw the families, yeah. you know, the, the, the losing your life overseas kind of thing is, is part of the job, highly unfortunate, horrible incident. And then the effect that it has, you know, on the people that know them, um, what effect did that have on you? Like that was pretty early on in the, uh, in the shooting of the, of the deployment, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, we took our first KIA, our first day taken over the AO. Um, wow. It was our first patrol, like minutes, like the patrol stepped off like minutes after we officially took over the AO. And um, like we sent out a squad with like a single gun team. So like really like maybe 10, 15 people tops. And they walked into like three different fucking enemy nests just pinned down they had pkm rpk uh spig nines going left and right just it was stupid uh our brigade sergeant major's son got shot in the head with an ap round wow um and his dad had just been there on the base like half an hour prior wow yeah so that was rough but then then we lost uh restrepo like a month and a half later so, I mean, we took a bunch of, like, other casualties in between. Luckily, guys didn't die, but, I mean, it was before we built Restrepo. It was just, we're in a fishbowl. It's going to happen. Yeah. And you guys ended up building Restrepo, the OP site, um, over one of their previous strongholds. Is that the, is that the way? Yeah. It yeah, it yeah, of- it was like this big ridge line, um, and there was villages behind it, and they would just they had complete like freedom of movement behind this ridge line because we had no eyes on it. And so they just walk up, carry whatever the fuck they wanted, like a bunch of heavy weapons, like a dish or two, whatever. And they can just put it straight down at us and just fire all day. Right. Yeah. So people that, you know, they, they grow up there, they know the terrain, you know, it's been a country and a population at war for just forever. It's just historically in it. So you're on being on their turf, you know, we think we, we definitely have a technological advantage, but there's just more to the story than that, you know, it's yeah. just having that tactical knowledge. Yeah. And the more they figure out about our technology, they always find ways around it. I mean, we'd have like ISR going at night and like, they'd see like what looks like just a couple pairs of feet walking and then like, we'd like light them up and go do BDA. We'd find out it was like six guys underneath like a couple sets of blankets walking around trying to move. Night. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, they're clever. Yeah, no, they are. You know, they're, we don't give them credit typically no. that the people that have really engaged with them and the guys that I've heard the uh, after action reports, uh, they have a, a respect for the enemy. They really do. They know what they're capable. Yeah, because if you don't respect them, you're like, well, we're just going to throw rocks or whatever. Cast them aside as as idiots. Um, 
you know, you yeah, Japan in World War Two, absolutely, like, yeah. Yeah, there were monkeys and gorillas, and then yeah, what happened to Iwo Jima. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just not the not the best mindset to take into it, but you know, one that definitely conducive for bringing the fight to the fucking yeah, enemy. Exactly. But you got to be smart about it. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to get too off off base. No, you're good, dude. How many? I gotta ask. How many times have you been asked about Restrepo? Like, how many times have you given it? It's been not much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a big thing when the movies came out, when like the sequel came out, did all the press tours and the film festivals and stuff. Yeah, but it died down. And like, I don't talk about it in my personal life, and like, none of the people I work with know anything about it. Um, most of my friends, like, I don't think any of my friends at school know anything about it because I just don't bring it up. So, yeah. So for you know, I when I reached out to you previously um i wanted to make sure and ask that just straight up it's like it's not the most important aspect but you know i I think it was memorial weekend and the memorial weekends are always hard for me yeah it's just it's just a lot it's a lot to take in and and to have even a vague understanding of of what that means and i was like man like and you instantly came to mind because we had a very brief interaction and and one that was like i i always remembered you and then we became friends on Facebook and you post the funniest shit by the way. Yeah. Jason, <laughs> dude, it's, it's like yeah, everybody's got the memes and like repost each memes. Jason finds like the most esoteric but like the funniest shit. And it's like it, it kills me every single time. It's it's very it's very clever. So thank you for that. Oh, man. It's very South Park inspired. Yeah. If I got nothing else out of our interaction. Yeah, just, it, it, just stuff I decide not to post. <laughs> don't post is where it's at. Uh, um, but you know I, I remember hearing about that I'm like wow like I just I'm always interested in people's stories, so I, I wanted to make sure and clear this up front, and I'm just grateful for you even taking the time to talk. Is it hard to talk about it? Like, is it hard now? Yeah, not anymore now. I mean, it was really hard at first. Um, it was just a really weird experience. Um, but, I mean, I got, I've talked about it so much, done with film festivals, all that stuff. Um, I mean, I've talked to crowds of, like, 2,000 people. And it definitely made it a lot easier. And I think it helped a lot with processing it, too, just kind of being like forced to talk about it helps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's one of the hardest things we have to become accustomed to is talking about all this stuff. And again, like I don't have a, an incident like that in my background. I could only imagine, you know, what it's like to, I mean, sometimes relive this thing like over and over and over again. Yeah. There's positive effects shown for cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, but like the nature of the beast is reliving a lot of this stuff. Did yeah. you, did you find, did you have any of those, did you go to therapy for any of this stuff? Medications? Like, what was your experience with any of that coming off this deployment? Um, I mean, we we were getting medication while we were still down there. We had the best doc ever. Um, this guy, like, he was our brigade, like, psych doc. And he insisted on being, like, balls deep in this shit. Um, and he, like, his like frame of thought was I, I can't relate to these dudes and I can't treat these dudes if I don't experience what the fuck they're going through. So like he'd spend like a week or two at a time out for Strepo helping us dig just fill Hesco's or like yeah. go on a patrol with us, everything. So I mean, the dude was on top of it and he would sit with each of us just while we we're taking a break and just kind of like trick us into therapy kind of out there. It was awesome. So like he was treating us, but like it was something that we couldn't talk about when we got back. Um, like continuing to get seen after we got back was like a, a big no-no. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's stupid. Everyone had problems, but no one would admit it. And uh, I remember after, like probably about a year after we got back, I was getting ready. It was close to where I was getting ready to PCS. So, like my platoon sergeant found out I was getting seen for uh, PTSD and all this other shit. And like, he just didn't trust me anymore. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. It was stupid. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the stigma around mental health to be super cliche. I, I don't have any original ideas anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but you think PTSD, you think the, the, the depression, like the natural responses to being in these shitty situations. Yeah. And the problem is, is like, there's a lot of people faking it, but like, you know, trying to get the ratings or, and like, you can tell, cause it's always like this, they always have this Hollywood version of PTSD where it's these constant freakouts and this constant seeking attention. But like for the vast majority of people with it, it's just like, it's not like this big public spectacle. It's constant anxiety. It's like ultra vigilance. It's just lack of trust in anyone, you know, nightmares. Like, it's not like this big Hollywood freak out where you're fucking at a bar crying, fighting people. Maybe it is for some people, but I mean, right, I, yeah. I, so I, I'm with yeah. you on that one. Like, I don't know. Um, I know that, you know, from the research, it's kind of a cluster of things, which you just mentioned. It's, you know, episodes of the flashbacks, like you have having these symptoms for more than a month, like there's criteria that need to be met. But the the experience itself can be quite different in how it manifests and when it manifests. So it's, and then the fact that I really want to hammer that you brought up is that like the most necessary requirement is to be able to talk about this stuff. And yet it can cost you your job. It can literally, they will have every reason. And I don't know if these are gone. Yeah. Pull your clearances, pull the gun. Don't put it on the radio. Like what, 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 what did you see end up happening for people that did open up or, or did anybody, did everyone just hold it in? Pretty much everyone held it in. Um, there was a few guys who had like little freakouts and stuff and just, it was swept under the rug and everyone was like, well, we don't want it to affect their career. We're not going to do anything about this. And he just needs to take a break and, you know, they give him a drink and then just like, ah, oh, just go cry it out. You're good. Just come back to work tomorrow. Like it wasn't something that anyone wanted to address with any seriousness. Why do you think that is? What's that? Why do you think that is? Why do you think they were just... Con- it's that stigma. Everyone's like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so went through it and they seem fine and I don't trust this person. Like, well, if, if they're going to break in peacetime, they're going to break in war. And it's like, no, it's the opposite. They didn't break in war, which is why now that everything's so fucking confusing. Like, that was the hard part for me. Like, I got in a frame of mind where I knew I was going to die. I made peace with it. Like... It was just whatever, you know, I was doing my job until I died and then I didn't die. And then like 18 hours later, I was back home and it was confusing as fuck. God, I can't even, you know, I, for the little bit that I was a part of that kind of juxtaposition of it's, it's not really much is going on and then something goes down and a lot of things are different. And then it's back to kind of this normal facade of life and it's just, something's different. Um, it's a very confusing situation. It doesn't. It still doesn't make sense. Yeah, the, and the, the fucked up part is like, is the constant internal battle of being deemed like mission essential and hiding that from your superiors to the point of like, okay, I'm good to go. Um, and really, in your mind, you're like, no, I've got this, this, and this. But if I say that, they they don't think I'm good to go. But I am good to go. I can still fucking perform. But if yeah, you're no, absolutely. Truth, like you can't execute your job and like that's bullshit because realistically everyone's gone through somewhat of the same shit. And if we could all just relinquish that like idea that we're these fucking superheroes and you know, <laughs> yeah, we could be all on the same level and I don't know. It's it just, I, 
Yeah, well, like, the biggest implication is, you know, again, bringing it back to the veteran suicide. It, it starts, the problem starts in the service, right? So that's where the healing, I think, should start. And, yeah. I mean, the, the military is just not ready to take that on yet. And I don't know if they ever will. With enough suicides, with enough uh, mild, to moderate, mild to moderate traumatic brain injuries, with enough science and data and people that are losing their lives coming out of it, you know, maybe they'll – I don't know. I don't know what it's like now. Um, I just I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope that it's changed because it's it's not leaving the spotlight anytime soon. Like people are killing themselves in the, the parking lots of VAs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like that oh, amount of you. Yeah, it's 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 a horrible way to go, but it's just that relief of the of the suffering. Um yeah. so so you get back from this thing and, and it's hush hush, you know, nobody talks about it. But everybody does something about it. And that's yeah. you know, already established this kind of background of, of drinking from a, a young age it was like that uh, escape now you have like yeah. a big reason to get away f- from everything yeah. what was what was that like what was that shift like like um after i got back like i you know i drink more than ever but most a lot of it was isolation drinking like i didn't go off base and like go explore i didn't go travel europe or anything i just i would have a a shit ton of drinks in a short span of time at the on-base bar, like after I got out of uniform, then I'd go home and go in my office and watch videos on YouTube and drink way more until I passed out. Um, Did you think that is problematic at the time? No. And that's the problem. I mean, I, I was just like, no, this is my safe space. I'm just staying safe so I don't hurt myself. And like, I justified it. I think a lot of people do, you know? it's hard to self-diagnose. So you think you're doing the right thing and you're convincing yourself you are doing the right thing when you're fucking absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with the isolation part alone, um, that's something I, I find myself doing and like I have to fight against that. But yeah. it, in the moment, it's just like, look, I'm still alive. Um, I'm not doing anything <laughs> crazy today. And all I'm doing is kind of sitting here just kind of dealing with stuff. So when did you notice it did become a problem? Um, probably after I got out of the military. Um, I think there was like one point where I didn't leave my house except for like going to pick my kids up from daycare and school or like going to get groceries and shit for like months on end. How long? How and long were you in the army? I was in the army eight years. Okay, so eight years. How old were you in when you were in the Coringal Valley? Um, twenty-two. Twenty-two. Okay. Yeah, 22 years old in that situation, yeah. eight years later getting out and then you've got kids, you've got the wife, you've got this whole new life, like trying to, to get into, like, what was that experience like? Um, it was hard. Like I tried school, but I hated the environment. Um, I tried a lot of stuff. It's just, like, I didn't want to go out in the army. Um, I got a medical retirement due to my injuries and everything else. Um, got forced out, but and that was hard for me because I was expected to go to career, and so I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> but then you know I went from this like high speed, fast paced fucking environment where you know I was treated like I knew what the fuck I was doing, and I was given the respect and freedom of authority to do what I needed to do to accomplish the mission, to daddy daycare and being surrounded by like eighteen year old kids at school, right. It was just, I think, and I know like a lot of other veterans I've talked to have the same problem where it's just that dramatic shift in environment is just too hard to cope with. 
Yeah, it's it's a lot. Like I didn't think you would be that bad when I got out, and you know, I, I had an abrupt exit as well. And it's like, okay, the the overarching advice they give is, you know, go to school, get a job, right? Those are the two most salient options. And it's like, okay, like there's, there's quite a bit of opportunities, especially in what state you're in, you know, Texas has a lot of support for veterans, but it's like nothing really meets that, that purpose requirement, right? Like Justin and I were talking about this earlier and it's huge to have this sense of like importance and that you're contributing to something, um, having exactly. a service, like you're, you're the go-to guy or you're developing in your career and it's you're an putting identity. Yeah, absolutely. The, the yeah. identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, if it even, if that's what you experience. So getting out of the army, having had all these experiences and being around people that, you know, maybe never put themselves in these situations. Yeah. I, 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 I can relate to how that feels. So, I mean, what was your, you had a lot going on. Like what was your response to that? I mean, drinking more isolating, yeah, just drinking more. And like, I, I fell in kind of with that, like, disgruntled veteran crowd. You know, it's, it's. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, it's just, I'm so special. And it's, it's so welcoming because everyone there is like, no, you are special and the world needs to know. And I was one of those guys who wore like fucking Ranger Up shirts and all that <laughs> shit. And yeah. like, you don't understand what I went through. And it was hard. You know, because it's a, it's a community where you think people are like-minded, but the majority of people there haven't really seen shit. They haven't done shit. They probably weren't great soldiers, but it's not a supportive community that works on building you better. It's a community where it's everyone feels they're entitled to everything and shouldn't have to work for anything anymore. It's a bad mindset to fall into. So it's this, uh, it's this new outlier group, right? Like we're in the in group because of, of our experience. It's like, yeah, we, we volunteered to do that. Like, you yeah. know, I just, I hope we weren't drafted. What's up? Yeah. Nobody put so we're drafted or anything. Yeah. yeah. We all listed during a time of war. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, yeah. And, but I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, and I've probably done it more than I'm willing to admit to, but <laughs> get on their high horse and they're like man you know you still get it and there is, it's like being a veteran doesn't yeah. indemnify you against not being an asshole like people can still be f- people right they can be assholes to you well, people can be fucking retarded they can be assholes <laughs> and be honest, human. and like being a veteran doesn't make you an expert on shit yeah it's i've, I've had a quote yeah i've had a buddy and i i won't mention his name like there's no need for that i'm not trying to you know, he's calling you out, Justin. <laughs> oh, what's up, brother? Yeah, hey, nice to meet you. Um, but he, <laughs> yeah, he brings up this. He had an incident at a, you know, some lady like she didn't replace her grocery cart, and he's like, "Hey, you should probably replace your grocery cart." And she's like, "Well, I don't want to." And they get into this altercation. He's like, "I'm sorry, I was a veteran. All right, I've got PTSD. So, and I get it. Like, it's but it becomes yeah. like that. It's like the dudes with the service dogs that are like PTSD. Back off. Like, fuck you, man." <laughs> Like yeah. everyone has a, a, a some kind of PTSD. Like it doesn't matter if you're a 17 year old girl that's you know going to Berkeley next year and driving a Mercedes and spills your fucking Starbucks and gets in a yeah. wreck. That same level of trauma could hit. It's, it, it affects the brain the same way that it's all relative. Exactly. I mean, it's so everyone like, has a level of PTSD, yeah. but thanks to Hollywood we've made out we've been made out to be these fucking monsters and that's kind of bullshit because you know realistically though through our selfish antics we're also some of the most selfless people on the planet and i'll speak for all of us on that on the camera <clears throat> but 
you know, everyone has PTSD to some magnitude. Something that traumatized you gives you stress. Fact. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is, like, if someone claims it, I'm all about just erring on the side of... Okay, there I am. Yay, I'm back. Oh, you can't... I just got your text. Jason, <laughs> my shit crashed. One second. <laughs> ha, ha. ha ha. I don't see what's funny about that, Jason. <laughs> I can't get my shit together. <laughs> I did have a break from looking at your dog's dick, so that's good. Wow, Mr. Potty Mouth. Jeez. Yeah. Get your shit together, sir. Oh, Jesus. You've been staring at this whole interview. Like, it's just <laughs> a picture of your dog, like, with his cock and balls out. Yeah. You're welcome, dude. I usually charge extra for that. I mean, it's worth the extra five bucks, in my opinion. <laughs> it's a good Saturday, bro. That's a better discount. You're welcome, by the way. That's why I got into veterinary medicine yeah. right there. Yeah. Like, how can I look at dogs' penises as often as possible without raising any alarms? Well, I'm sorry. Can I be a dog a veteran? Veterinarian? Oh, my God. Anyway, but this, sorry, the key takeaway before your, your thing crashes, like, if somebody's claiming PTSD, I'm willing to just err on the side of believing them. Right? No, no, absolutely. Like, believe and say, okay, cool. Like, you know, are you getting help? What kind of help do you need? I, I'm not a fan of jump straight to disbelief and say you're full no. of shit because you didn't have this experience. Yeah. yeah I hate that more than anything. It's like the veterans are like, you don't have PTSD because you weren't in the military. I'm like, you are an asshole and you're making us all look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's just kind of part of the natural process of, of getting out because of the whole identity deal. I, I just think it's due to a limited mind frame. Like guys in the military, like their only experience with even like the idea of PTSD is other dudes they serve with who saw some st- saw some shit and they, they're not around people who like might be like rape victims or you know horrific car crashes or like you know assault and burglary and all that stuff there's a million other ways to get ptsd and like the, their only exposure is combat so they think that's the only way you can get it which is not fucking true obviously yeah, yeah the that's t- society standpoint on it right yeah. Yeah, that's that's the T in PTSD is yeah. trauma. Yeah. You know, it, it yeah. originally shell shock back when people coming back yeah. from World War Two, yeah. post yeah. stress, and then it started to, to to gain ground. Um, and that's when you know we started, and especially recently, they did a study. I, I forget exactly what the name of it was, but looking at the the history of American wars from the Civil War to now, when we've had the highest incidence of of veteran suicides. Um, yeah. There's with dip significantly during the peacetime and ours some, for some reason uh, has raised uh, significantly. So, I don't know. It's just an interesting I'm curious. My thoughts on it are like, I think we romanticize the whole 22 veterans a day thing. Like, it's like this dark romantic view of it of where it's like, oh, I'm struggling so much. It's the only way out. And if I do it, then I'll be remembered. You know, everyone will... I mean, we almost worship our dead. Like... Interesting. It's just sad. A, a lot of what that is is, is due to the, the the age of technology. I mean, you got to remember too. Yeah. <clears throat> just like everything else, like it, I mean, let's look at let's look at terrorism as the same standpoint. Like you know, it's increased significantly since someone some kid could you know post on online that he can go blow himself up in a mall, and now yeah. he's forever remembered. So now terrorism is glorified. So someone else is going to go, oh, I can fucking do that and be, you know, glorified forever. So, you know, back in the fucking early 1900s when dudes were getting home, um, <clears throat> if they killed themselves, they were a ghost. The only people that knew was their son and their, just their wife, you know? So now it's, you're, you are right because it is a fucking like, you know, because I know I've struggled that with, I've struggled with that myself as well, you know, and, and because and I'll, I'll just be blatantly honest, like with suicide, 
you know, thoughts of like, well, if I fucking kill myself, you know, uh, so-and-so or all these people will, you know, fucking feel bad for me. No, dude, get the fuck over it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's live your life, you know? Yeah. But yeah, social media and, and technology is definitely taking a toll on that. But no, I agree. I mean, it's definitely a, it's definitely a double-edged sword because it's like, okay, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I didn't really think of it like that, like the glorify the dead. Um, but I'm kind of taking that in and, and, and reflecting on it. And it's like, what's up? <laughs> no, you're good. Justin admitted to his ranting. Yeah. I have, I have. How dare you? Ah, dare, fuck my life. Don't ever have an opinion. Jesus Christ. It clearly doesn't benefit anybody. Um, but no, but... That you he said, just looks pretty with his long hair, that's all. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's still long. <laughs> it's good. That's awesome. Good. <laughs> It's a bit matted from this area, but <laughs> but seriously, like looking at the uh, so what do, it's like a double edged sword. What do we do then? We just don't we don't give them any respect whatsoever. We kind of just push no, them that up. thing can't. It's 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 a it's a hard thing. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, but yeah, there's always people always implicate media and, and all sorts of things, and I think it all counts. But I think it's just a curious deal. I'll definitely post that in the uh, the after show notes so that people can look at the study. And I'm not just talking out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I think we've all been there. Like, was that, was that something that came to mind to you, uh, came to your mind? So you're um, a friend you. of mine who was in Cornwall with me actually brought it up. Um, shortly before I went to Warrior's Heart actually, cause he struggled with alcoholism a lot, um, suicidal fucking attempts and ideations and stuff. And he's saying that one of the things that, he ended up having to do. He had to stop wearing like his memorial bracelets. He had to stop posting about it just continuously because he, you know, it was just weighing on his guilt where like he felt like he wasn't doing enough for them and he wished it was him that died. And, you know, like he commented about how like everyone kind of just worships the dead and just makes their life out to be about them and they don't live for themselves anymore. And that he had to break away from that. And it's something I thought about at Warriors Heart a lot the concept of wearing and I don't I want to make sure and say this tactfully um, but it's like like a superficial way of memorializing the dead to like look I was in this trauma traumatic situation I knew these guys and I'm kind of this victim now is that is that yeah. kind of the way yeah it's kind of there and there's, I don't see anything wrong with it you know it's a great way to keep their memory alive and stuff but you know, some people like me, like I just dwelt too heavily on that. And like, that was my whole thing. It was, I was always never doing enough and, oh, they would have lived their life better and they would have been better at everything that I am right now. And it was just too much for me. And I had to kind of let that go and accept, you know, I'm living my life best I can. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that one. And, you know, I, I don't have an opinion personally when people do that stuff. You know, I think everyone has like their own ways of doing it. Um, just yeah, if it works for you, it's fine. Yeah, Justin's wearing one. I'm not trying to call, <laughs> give him shit, but it's like, you know, some people that's that's the way they want to respect it. Like I totally get yeah. it. So, certain, but months, it, certain months call for certain things, but I, yeah. I do understand that <clears throat> to the aspect of like, there's many times where I try to be somewhat incognito to the fact that I even was military. Um, you there? Because I don't want to. I, I, I'll be quite honest. Selfishly, I don't want to answer fucking questions. Um, you know, because hey, there you are. Not, not to the ignorance, but just kind of to the ignorance of people. So, what was it like over there? Uh, it was fucking hot. <laughs> you know, you just walk away. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 you know, but I sometimes can't shake shake some some traits. But uh, 
yeah, I get that though. It's there's a lot of people that you know can continue to wear the grunt style and the fucking five elevens, and it's like, dude, hang up your fucking helmet, bro. You're not on varsity anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was one of the big things for me too, and um, I just brained up where I was fucking going. No, yeah, you're good. I, <laughs> well, no, it's it's. I know for me, like one of my biggest struggles is I, I get further and further away from even talking about the title and, and anything that I did because, you know, I'd very quickly make things about me. I'm, I'm selfish. Like, you know, yeah. a lot of what drove me into that job was fucking being able to tell people about it at some point, like <laughs> doing it humbly. Right. And I, I, I want to be honest about it because it's just like, it's just kind of what I had to go through. And there's a big chunk of pain that comes with that. Right. Because there's a, there's a unique quality of I'm special yeah. and that everyone buys into and that only furthers to substantiate the, uh, the isolation uh, sorry, my dog's knocking over all their drinks. Nice. But yeah, it's like, it's, it's difficult to kind of get away from that. Like I'm special mentality, but you know, you, you still did a very difficult job, but the bottom line is you, you notice you had to come to acceptance in terms, come to terms of agreement with what you were going through, which is like, okay, you've got this, you're hanging out with the crowd that, that is kind of complaining about the way things are. And what was that? When did that happen? Was that a mat? Was that a factor of getting sober or just hitting up the feet um, too much? I think it was just like I started doing a lot more events, like going to like different, you know, veterans rallies and like everything around town. Just started like hitting all that up, and I started seeing all these like cringy motherfuckers. And I started like doing a little bit of introspection, like "fuck, is that me? Like, am I the same fucking way?" And like oftentimes the answer was yes, which sucked. Yeah. So started kind of reevaluating things and pushing myself away from that. What did that look like? So you're, you, did you get away from the rallies? Did you get away from? Like, oh, I, I stopped going to all those. Um, like I still donate my time. If someone was doing like a fundraiser needed, wanted, you know, a strepo veteran, whatever, if it was raising money for a good cause, I'd go, but that was the end of it for everything else. Um, I just found different people to hang out with, um, kind of like like-minded individuals. When did uh, what's do you still do that stuff? Do you still go to? Do you still volunteer to speak? Or you, you're probably no, I mean, like I'm always open for it, but I, it hasn't come up in a while, and I'm not actively seeking it out either. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah you've got a bigger bigger fish to fry right now. Yeah. So, so you go into how'd you find out about Warrior's Heart? Um. I saw a lot of Tom Spooner's like videos just circulating in the Facebook crowds and everything. Um, and I did like a few fundraisers that donated to Warrior's Heart like when it first started up. And so I heard about it there. And then like when I was going, you know, I was getting ready to hang myself like again. Um, I just decided I'll do something about it. I Googled it and it popped up and I was like, oh yeah, there's that fucking place. Might as well try it. Yeah, right. But I did. So what what happened at Warrior's Heart? Like, what do you think made the difference? Um, I mean, being around a lot of like-minded people struggling and just talking openly, like admitting everything I've never admitted about, you know, suicide and guilt and, you know, all this other shit. It put a lot into perspective. Um, but then just, I mean, the, the therapists I work with were great. Just made me realize like a lot of my, beliefs were based on like just the fact that I felt guilty for surviving. Like I, I, I never thought of myself as having survivor's guilt, but I definitely did. Like I felt guilty for being alive when they died. So I started like, they, they worked with me on changing my perspective on that. It really helped a lot. 
it's it's a very common thing uh survivor's guilt you know like it should have been me and it was them and it's like a way to kind of take control of a situation that's, that's already happened and it's it's it just doesn't really make any sense um yeah. but yet like we we do that so so quickly so now you get out of warrior's heart and like you've been able to stick with the stick with your program so you went back to Colorado, you're back with the family. What was it like after that initial departure? It was, it was weird. It was different. Um, I wasn't going out drinking like every night. I wasn't drinking myself to sleep and ignoring my kids. Um, You know, I got to spend a lot more time with them and like, it kind of showed like they were always coming up to me and tell me how much they love me and they miss me and everything. And just made me realize exactly what I had been missing for years prior. Um, which really reinforced my will to like just not drink again. So yeah, no, that's it's powerful, man. Like Hell yeah. yeah, to come back and have family. This I mean, my family. I've said it before. My family has saved my ass, and yeah. you know, from being gone so much in the in the service and kind of just like being accustomed to not being around, kind of get used to it. You know, living out of a, a, a roller bag uh, yeah. eleven months of the year. And you see him once on Christmas and, you know, you high five maybe every other Easter. But then like to be in a situation where I'm totally and completely, in my case, helpless. It really helped open my eyes to see like, you know, that people are there for you and and that they really do love and support you. So to come back in that environment, I mean, that's powerful, man. So it sounds like that's really kept you kind of on the straight and narrow, um, which is great. Like, I, I can't say enough good things about it. You know, you're, you're, you're alive today and I've had interactions with people very recently and I've made sure to tell them that. And they're like, they have, usually it's guys that are struggling. And I'm like, dude, I'm just glad you're alive. It yeah. doesn't have to be that way. Um, yeah. so, Even if it's bad now, I mean, you have the opportunity to change it. That's the important part. What advice would you give to people who are struggling? Take the time to find yourself. Um, slow down like I was just constantly rushing from one thing to the other trying to replace or just trying to fill that hole uh, I think we might have lost him fuck <laughs> alright tell the joke awesome <laughs> I was like we're about to yeah, get to the <laughs> I know man so I guess I'll fill the, the silence and I'll probably edit this out no I'm going to keep it um, look talking with Jason so far has been it's gone all over the place. Um, it's actually been really cool. All right, everyone. So unfortunately, this is the part in the conversation where we were unable to reconnect with Jason, but it really was great speaking with him. Um, great having him on the podcast. Great having uh, my buddy with me as well. So hope you enjoyed it. And that's all we got for you for today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please read the show notes for any links or other amplifying information mentioned or used in the production of today's show. Climb 4 is a registered 501c3. To purchase merchandise, contribute donations, or to apply for hiking camping equipment, or to send us a message, please visit Climb 4 at www.climb-4.org. That's www.climb-4.org. And if you're a veteran and wish to be on the podcast, please send an email to info at climb-4.org. Once again, that's I-N-F-O at C-L-I-M-B dash the number 4 dot O-R-G. See you next time.